2: Tēnā koutou katoa. Nau mai Hello and welcome. It's great to see you all here. Uh, this is the, the second date on our world tour. The, f- the first was in October last year in Tauranga. <laughs> Easing into it. Life on the road. It's pretty pretty tough. Um, my name is Toby Manhire.
3: Kia ora. Ko Annabelle Lee May the talk wingwa.
0: Uh, my name is Ben Thomas. I was labelled a popular pundit by the New Zealand Herald in 2022. Um,
2: and I don't know, we, we invited um, all of the bad boys of Brexit, uh, <laughs> spiritual leaders, to come and join us, but nothing so far. We'll see. we will just keep a mysterious eye on that seat. You never know what might happen. Um, I love this festival. It's so good to be at this festival. I've had so many great experiences at this festival. I've also had one experience where I um, moderated a panel with uh, Cartoonist on it, and one of the cartoonists on the panel literally fell asleep during the session. <laughs> so I'm hoping we can <laughs> go up a notch on <laughs> this time. I'm not promising. We'll see. We'll see how we go. Um, let's crack into it. We, oh, we'll, 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 we'll try and have some time for some questions at the end too. So if you've got any um, uh, interesting questions, love to percolate on those. Today is t- almost t- 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 the t- 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 20... a
0: popular was "Who Are You" and, and "What Is a Podcast." <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, uh, yeah, we've been working on the answers to that in the interim. Uh, there's one sitting week to go, as many of you will know, until um, the election campaign starts properly, but we're already in it, really. There's 48 days till election day, 36 days till advance voting begins. I always have to get Are my maths sure? right on this. I struggle, but I think I've got yeah. those right. Um, because it's a literary festival, a word festival, a books festival, let's start with a bookie question. One of the uh, traditions of New Zealand elections that I love is um, after each election, Stephen Levine convenes a conference a Parliament, um, and then a book comes out the following year. I think it's been going back since about the 70s. They're always given sort of one-line strapline titles. 1996, Campaign to Coalition. 2008 was Key to Victory. 2017 was Stardust and Substance. Annabelle, looking now, if you, had to, what, if you were going to put a title on the election of 2023, what do you reckon it would be? Can I have two? Yes, of course. One for
3: the left and one for the right. Okay. For the right, I'm going, my one's going to be Rinky Dinky Days, because okay. it feels nice on my face when I say it, and for the left, it's going to be um, Bread and Buggered.
2: Bread and Buggered.
1: Because
3: <laughs> okay. that's probably the worst swear word I can say in front of a live audience, <laughs> so I'm getting it out now.
2: Normally, we quite often when we record these podcasts in the studio, there's bits where we go, Take that out, Tiao here, you've got to cut that out. Um, it's harder to do in a live venue, isn't it? Ben, what's the title you're going to put on the book?
0: Uh, I think, I think, like, Two and a Half Men, but, <laughs> then, but, but then I realized like, that's, that's not in keeping with them. Like, normally it's like a, it's normally some sort of like, you, you know, like Stardust, what is it?
2: Stardust and Substance. Stardust and Substance. Yeah.
0: This is a kind of childlike sort of punny or alliterative sort of yeah. thing. Um, so I thought if it, if, it, if it turns out to just be a major party kind of kind of confrontation, it'll be brilliantly basic, the bread and butter bonfire. Um, if, if the smaller parties end up playing more of a role, it will, it'll just be the same thing, because I you know, can't come up with too many ideas, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, br- brilliantly basic, bombing bureaucracy, bathroom bans, and wow. the bread and butter bonfire. <laughs> <laughs> which makes it sound like a Roald Dahl book. And so. you haven't
2: even got beetroot and boondoggles in oh, there. no. God damn so, uh, <laughs> just... Left to go. Hey, um, one of the most striking things about this campaign, if we look at the poll for One News that came out um, last week, is that people don't seem really enamoured with either of the main parties, the purple vote, as it's called, the blue and the red. Um, combined 66% in the last poll, and you have to go back to 2002 to see anything like that, where the top two parties were as unpopular. What's going on there, Ben, do you think? I mean, is, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it just a factor of MNP? Is it the malaise of the nation? There's a line that was once used about Harold Wilson, to borrow that, are Chris and Chris travelling up and down the country stirring up apathy?
0: <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's an iterative function of what's been happening, right, which is that you know, because of the, the external factors, you know, high cost of living, inflation, crime, all these sorts of things that just generally tend towards, you know, the, the kind of national malaise that a lot of people are talking about. Um, national sort of, national with its, its new and dynamic leader, Christopher Luxon, back in late 2020, uh, sorry, to late 2021, you know, fixed on basically, you know, what's known as the small target strategy. So have as few distractions, let people just Think about how bad their lives are, associate that with the current government, and then you just sort of wait until you become government yourself in the election. Um, about January this year, Labour had the same idea. Uh, so we now, have, we, we, we now have we now have two we now have two candidates who are essentially yeah. you know, running presidential-style elections. The incredible to, shrinking crisis. Yeah, based on not being Jacinda Ardern mm. and, and, and being a, a cleavage or a break from the last five years of Labour government. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, first we saw that with the the the, the alliterative bonfire. Um, and you know and 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 then we've seen sort of you know tax relief in a kind of Labour way, which is you get these these tax credits, you know, and working for families, which are essentially just subsidies, but they call them tax credits. And that will be matched up against, you know, however national delivers its tax policy soon. But basically, you know, the 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 median voter theory, which is that, you know, all all voters in terms of their political extremism are sort of on a bell curve. And in MMP, you've got to control the middle point. Um, It's basically just these two parties heading towards each other, like sort of game of kind of chicken in the desert, about to crash at the point of the median voter. Um, and, and so the, the, the policies are converging. So if you think about it as two, separate, as, as two separate parties, you're like, well, this is historically low support. If you think of it as one, one broad set of policies that is supported by almost 70% of New Zealanders, it's pretty popular. <laughs> <laughs> Although,
2: if you look at the, in the preferred Prime Minister rankings, Chris Hipkins, on that last poll, 21%, Christopher Luxon, 20%. Annabelle, that's 41%. I mean, that's that's six out of ten New Zealanders who are like, no thank you.
3: Mm. I, I mean, I think that New Zealanders have never really felt a particularly strong affinity for Christopher Luxon. Like, he's never ridden a wave of, of personal popularity. So I think that's why he's polling where he is. And in terms of Chris Luxon, I think that people are just ho-ha. ho with the government, ho with with um, Luxon's ministers, and he's kind of carrying the can for that. And there's no one else is sort of capturing the imagination of New Zealanders. And I'm not even sure that New Zealanders really know at this point what they want from their next leader. But in terms of, um, you know, where the parties are polling... It's so low that literally Labour and National would struggle to form a coalition with each other on the numbers yeah, that right. they've got. But they probably have more in common with each other than they do with their natural coalition yeah. partners, ironically. Yeah.
2: Um, in terms of the way that the potential coalitions might work, just, just half an hour ago, Chris Hipkins gave a speech, um, I think, at Parliament, which was teed up as a, a major announcement. Um, it was being... To the media in that fashion. And it was Chris Hipkins laying out who he wouldn't wouldn't work with. And he said, after a long, long preface, he said, I will not work with New Zealand First, which is kind of like, <laughs> New Zealand First already said they wouldn't. What did you make of that Annabelle? That was is that, is that is that I mean, presumably the tactic is to go the he they're a coalition of chaos also to align, hopefully try and attached to Lux and the National Party, a sort of more fringe, you know, potentially conspiracy-aligned grouping. Is that a smart strategy, do you think?
3: Well, can I start by saying that, you know, I think it's great that Labor have taken a stand on speaking out about transphobia and those sorts of issues. Really important and heartening to see. But when I listen to snippets of today's announcement, I can't help but feel that the only person who will benefit from it is Winston Peters. <clears throat> Last week, Hipkins described himself as the underdog. Today, he like gave that title back to Winston Peters, who can now rail against Labour and National and ACT. And... Uh, I think today has blown fresh wind in his sails. Yeah. So it's hard to understand the logic of it just to have the, being able to say, oh, coalition of chaos doesn't well, seem worth it to well, me. What do you
2: do? You, what do you think, and do you think it Do you think it underlines that Christopher Luxon might have missed a trick in not ruling out New Zealand First himself? Some yeah, months,
0: I think and, in, in, in business... Um, Takeovers. There's a thing called the poison pill, where if your company is going to be sort of taken over, you, you just sort of make it impossible, essentially, and um, for, for the for the aggressor, and they they kind of start choking on their takeover effort. Yeah. And so I think the, the, this is sort of <laughs> Hipkins kind of version of which poison pill. He he, you know, Luxon has been at pains, without actually ruling out New Zealand first, he's been at pains to sort of almost kind of pretend they don't exist, you know, like, like we're taught to deal with, you know, nightmares or fears or, you know, you kind of just put it out of your mind and hopefully it sort of shrinks in relevance and stops being a factor. And, 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 and this has been the, the centre-rights approach to New Zealand First so far in the campaign. Mm. But Hipkins is out there saying, he's essentially saying Winston's own pitch, which is if you want to change the government, vote for New Zealand First. And he's saying to Christopher Luxon, if you want to be in government, you know, best wishes, here's, like, here's Shane Jones. Take, you know, take some people that they scrounged up from the Taumurunui RSA for your trouble. is Here, an insane ex-Shortland street actor who's not even the good one who believes in the pyramid conspiracies, like, he's just a COVID nutcase, you know? And so, yeah, I, I think that that's, you know, it's actually pretty savvy of, of Labor to do that. You know, it was obviously not news that uh, they wouldn't be working with New Zealand first anyway. Um, but yeah, I think it does. It does put pressure on Luxon, and then I think they they may have missed an opportunity to have ruled out uh, Peters.
3: It's interesting though, because you know there's been this massive policy shift within New Zealand First that we haven't really talked about, which is that you know forever Winston Peters has said that you know it's it's up to New Zealanders and voters to decide who gets to be in government and who will form coalitions with who. And whenever he's been asked before an election, who will you work with, who won't you work with, who will you rule out, who won't you rule out, he's always been very vehement about that. So to suddenly be saying that he won't work with Labour... is quite unusual and it'd be nice to see him questioned a bit more about that, why, why the change of heart?
0: Well, Winston Peters is, I mean, he's, he is, you know, like, love nor hate him, <clears throat> Winston Peters is the innovator of New Zealand MMP politics, right, he's, he, he is constantly coming up with new governing arrangements, he was the first person to be in a coalition government, uh, he was the first person to be in a, you know, what became the new sort of style of support parties who claimed to be sort of not quite in government or not quite in coalition. Um, And then he sort of innovated again with the arrangement that he made with the Greens uh, and Labor in um, 2020. And sort of the corollary of that is he's always coming up with different ways to subvert his electoral promises before the votes are in. You know, In 1996, he said, vote for Winston Peters if you want to change the government. Um, and get National out, and he later, when he was questioned why he went into coalition with National, he said, we did change it to a National New Zealand First government. (laughs) Then in 2005, he said that he wouldn't go into government with anyone because they would reject the baubles of office. A Few weeks later when he was moving into the Minister of Foreign Affairs office, he was questioned about that and he said, you know, you idiots, if you you look at the dictionary definition of baubles, it means a worthless thing or a trinket, and this is great. um, so I, I expect that we'll see some more sort of O Henry, you know, the, you know, selling your hair to buy a hairbrush or whatever, FOB watch kind of, you know, right. reversals of fortune um after the election if he's in a position uh to have sort of negotiating sway.
2: Um we know in MMP that it is the, the party vote that counts that that 's what the of parliament is determined on, but it 's always fun and interesting uh, to look at the electorate battles too um, and I think there's some quite tasty ones uh, in this election campaign and about what are you what are you watching closely in the electorates
3: the one that i 'm most fascinated by is Roa Rāwhiti, and Mihingarangi, and I have just spent a few weeks driving through the electorate from Hicks Bay in the north all the way down to Wainui or Mata in the south. Um, even though we're completely fascinated by it, probably about 60% of people that we talk to don't even know who's running. Yeah. But it, but it is a fascinating um, match-up between um, Mecca, um and Kushla Tangaire, Manuel, who uh, is quite a remarkable candidate that... Uh, Labor were able to, you know, rustle up at, at, at the last minute. I think it's going to be a real knife's edge of a race, that one. But but also, you know, only 67% of eligible voters turned out last election to vote in Ika Roa Rawhiti, the second lowest of the Māori seats. So how those two... Um, reach into those electorates to capture the hearts and minds of people is also something that I'm fascinated by. Do you, do you by. have a
2: sense of, because obviously Mika Waiteri defected from one party to another um, uh, some months ago while Chris Hopkins was in London. Do you have a sense of the, when talking to people, of the attachment to Mika Waiteri as the MP of a few terms now, or to Labor, you know, the Parakura, that's his seat from way back? Do you, do you have a sense of whether that's going to be, whether it's going to be close or whether the affection remains with Mecca?
3: I think, you know, in parts of the electorate, there's very strong support um, for Mecca, particularly around Te Mataua Maui, you know, Hastings, Flaxmere, yeah. Napier, yeah. Rishi, Whakapapas too, being from Ngāti Kahungunu. I think, in general, there's a sense of abandonment in the electorate. Um, You know, they're grappling with some huge issues post the cyclone, and, you know, there was a number of people that we spoke to who said they feel like politicians roll in in a high-vis and steel-cap boots, have their photos taken, and then truck out again. So I think, um, you know, ultimately, the race will be decided in the more populated urban centres like Wainui or Mata, those sorts of places, and, yeah, I think... um, it's just too close to call, I think.
2: And really hard to poll those. You've polled those seats before, incredibly, for the yeah, it's incredibly so, so hard dispersed. to poll. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ben, what's what's squealing your wheels as far as electorate battles are
0: concerned? I'm uh, I'm interested in a few of the bellwether seats in Auckland that that haven't haven't sort of been remarked on. Um, the electorate contests are actually really interesting this year. Normally I don't pay a lot of attention. It's more sort of pre MP kind of nerds who you know. Think that we're in sort of you know US congressional districts or something, and, and we want to get really involved in the, these one-on-one matchups because under MMP traditionally they don't matter that much, um, except as you know getting people into getting parties into parliament if they're under five percent. But here there's quite a quite a significant role for them to play in terms of the compositions of the lists and the caucuses for Labor and National because Labor won so many seats last time, many of them against the grain, Places like Rangatata, you know, they would never have expected. Um, You know, a a lot of those uh, Labour, you know, ministers currently, you know, are only in there if if people further down lose their electorates. uh, Conversely, in national, a lot of the sort of, quote unquote, you know, more diverse caucus that uh, was produced on the list will only come in if people further up you know, the, the, the legions of white men sort of fail to win back national yeah. electorates.
2: Could be a really small number of, of... National could do really well and still bring a tiny number of still list bring a very small
0: there. number of list Get lists. an overhang, yeah. wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Old school. And, and so I think so, a couple to look at in that respect, uh, Northcote, uh, Shannon Helbert. Mm. Yeah, he's been a pretty good MP, mm. a, you know, good guy. Um, you know, won reasonably convincingly last time, but Northcote has tended to go with the biggest party, not necessarily the government, but the biggest party, um, and uh, tended And uh, another one is Mangaia. Uh, it, it used to be seen as quite a safe Labour seat, but again, uh, in recent years, it has just gone with the party that's had the, the highest party vote. Um, the other thing to look at: National is probably looking at a bigger swing back in electorates than they are in the you know overall. You know, you see, we've talked about Martin National still doing relatively poorly in terms of the party vote, but because uh, electorates are more sort of one-on-one, they'll tend to overperform when they're sort of uh, looking at taking back electorates versus the party vote as a whole. So, and then the third sort of marginal kind of toss-up, could go in either way, sort of seat uh, that I'm interested in, is one that National traditionally holds by about 20,000 votes, which is Tamaki, in um, the, the uh, sort of the... the the eastern bays of uh, Auckland, um, which is where Simon O'Connor, who's been there since about 2011, uh, is is under threat from a former colleague of mine, Brooke Van Velden, who's now the deputy leader of ACT. Um, and, and normally you would sort of say, well, that's a cinch for him. You know, he's been, I think, in the last election, you know, the last election, where Labor still won, the you know Labor somehow won the party vote in Tamaki because of the, the COVID response. Um, you know, O'Connor was still I think eight thousand votes ahead of uh, the Labor candidate. Um, what seems to have happened is that some national some national people, you know, active obviously been on the rise, but some within National, uh, you know, there was a challenge against uh, for the candidacy against O'Connor uh, within National itself, which he, he staved off. He's got good control of his electorate organisation. But there are a lot of national members around that area uh, who, who don't really kind of support his outspoken stances on basically so, so, social stances, uh, socially conservative stances. Yeah. Uh, he gets into trouble by being a bit effusive on social media about things like uh, developments in American abortion law. Yes.
2: Um, <laughs> he was asked to take down a Facebook post in which he, he welcomed.
0: Yeah, and, and, it's, and or... it's not the first one. You know, yeah, he, 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 you know, and, and look, O'Connor, you know, he's a conviction politician. You know, he and Lewis Wall were, uh, you know, two MPs in the previous parliament who were, you know, very vocal about human rights abuses in China. Um, you know, he's, he's a very good local MP, um, but, you know, there, there are certainly people within the party who's, who, you know, don't want those kind of views sort of to be represented in, in Tamaki. Um, Matthew Hurden, another former colleague of my name Brooks, um, Claimed that there was internal polling done by ACT which showed them neck and neck. That there were sort of whispers that you hear coming out of it. You know, some national people are sort of already kind of, you know, looking at, uh, you know, yeah, looking at letting the electorate go. So it'll be interesting Mm. to see. I know
3: a woman on the left in that electorate too who who you know, would ordinarily never consider voting for ACT in their wildest yeah. dreams, but are this time just to get rid of yeah. um, Simon. But also, apparently, Brooke is running a really smart campaign there, lots of um, street meetings and really active in the, in the community.
2: I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, the way that ACT ACT's confidence has grown over this term where they performed so extraordinarily well, defied a gravity, where you normally expect that any party that goes from one MP to how many is it? 10? 10. Ten. Uh, that you will get some kind of really seismic scandals and kind of hilarious pratfalls, but there's been relatively little of that. However, in the last week, it's been interesting. Well, there, <laughs> but there has been, but 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 you know, there was there was the there were candidates that were that either quit or 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 apologised after historic remarks that conspiracy aligned. Um, there was David Seymour doubling, tripling down on his hilarious joke about his guy forks fantasy, <laughs> just like you know, asking questions in the house, bringing it back into mm. oxygen, and then and then most recently starting a fight with the family of Nelson Mandela, which seems spectacularly ill-advised.
0: But uh, yeah, I mean, look, this this, this is sort of the thing, right? If if things are going well for you, um, you know, they have had very good caucus discipline for the last three years, you know, by far the best of any parliamentary party, um, you know, like you said, their confidence has increased. They've had a number of, you know, high-profile celebrity endorsers, endorsements, including the spectral presence of the, f- the first president of the Free South Africa. Also, the ancient spirits of the chiefs who signed the treaty. That's right, yeah. Ch- Channel yeah. yeah. public meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. uh, <laughs> David, David Seymour gets in charge of the history
2: curriculum. It's gonna
0: be... <laughs> It's um, You know, yeah, and, and the thing is, it's, it's probably a lot like, I think we are saying before, it's probably a lot like doing a podcast. You know, you sort of become a bit more comfortable, and then you start saying yeah. some things, and you start shooting your mouth off, and then you remember people are listening. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, you know, when you're sort of, you know, when you're surrounded by the faithful in an ACT meeting, you know, it, it plays really well, you know, because he knows he's being cheeky, he knows yes. he's being provocative. Oh, of course, Nelson Mandela would be campaigning for ACT, you know. And and then it gets reported, and then, you know, it turns into this sort of, um, you know, everything goes through the slightly more po faced <laughs> process of news media reporting, you know, fair enough. Um, and the same, same thing with, you know, the joke he shouldn't have made, obviously, because, you know, one, not very funny, two, you know, know, temperatures are a bit high, Um, and, yeah, and it it can cause a sort of distraction, because, you know, I I was actually interested that he was asking questions in Parliament about, you know, the joke, you know, Um, like a sort of Milan Kundera story, like, um, that he he did want to return to it, because I I think they probably felt that that played well with their supporters, that their supporters were like, oh, it is just a joke, it's, you know, um, but, we're not
2: allowed to tell jokes anymore. But yeah, you're not right. allowed
0: to tell jokes anymore. Yeah. You know, we're bringing. You know, you're allowed to be funny again under an ACT government or something. Yeah. And yeah, but I, but I think they maybe, I think they might have underestimated just how much of a distraction it turns into, um, and how off course it can sort of blow things because then it, you know it brings national into it. They don't want any part of this, you know, uh, and and so I think you know yeah, a bit of a wake up call for them.
2: Uh, I was going to mention uh, as far as electorate battles that are interesting. Wellington Central, which is uh, my where, place I first voted, and was an interesting first MMP seat with Richard Preble winning, and that was sort of immortalised in that um, that the the Tony Sartorius film campaign. And then there's been a been a Labour seat, and Grant Robertson's held it for some time now, maybe since 2008, I think. And now he's he's Stood off, stood away. So is James Shaw. We've got a, a Nicola Willis, who was there last time, is now standing on a hurry, So we've got this really interesting new field of including Tamitha Paul for the Greens, who is trying to kind of channel. She's close to Chloe Swarbrick, trying to channel the, in, the energy from Auckland Central, but also some of uh, uh, some of the Tory Fano winning the mayoralty there. But I'm conscious as well that we've come. To Ujitahi. we've come to Christchurch and not talked anything about Christchurch. seats. And um, that seems that seems some optimal. So I thought to, re- to yeah, I thought to remedy that we should try and get someone on the stage who knows a lot about Christchurch politics. Ideally, someone who has represented a Christchurch constituency across eight terms, and if possible, I don't know if there's anyone in the audience if, if, only, if someone who has also been mayor of Christchurch for three terms. <laughs> is there anybody here? Oh, it's Leanne yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Oh, what a wonderful ovation. Welcome, Leanne. So great to have you with us. You've just come back from being away for a bit overseas. Yeah, I've
1: been overseas for three months. It's been the longest holiday I've ever had in my entire life. Good on you. A bit of an O.E. Yeah. Um, I forgot to do it when I was young. <laughs>
2: what, is it, what, is it, what does it look like, New Zealand politics, when you return to it with a fresh eye?
1: Well, you know, because I've been invited to be with you today, I've had to do a bit of research. because no, that was spontaneous. I, I kind of
2: <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: that's why I'm all mic'd up. Um, so, no, it was, um, it, it's, it's been, I've had to really catch up with things, because um, a lot has changed in mm. three months. There's been a, a lot going on, various things have happened, and... Um, all of it has played into these um, poll results and I've always felt poll results were quite interesting for the trends that Mm. they identify and at the moment it's a little bit all over the place. Yeah.
2: And what are the electorate battles in Christchurch, the state of the races in Christchurch that sticks out to you that you're interested in?
1: Well, I think that the one that stands out is Island, but I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. OK. Um, but the, uh, I think that... I mean, I've represented both Christchurch Central and Christchurch East, and I've been a List MP. So... Uh, and I think they, they tell some stories. So uh, Christchurch Central and Christchurch East, uh, and actually... I'll, I'll p- perhaps turn it around the other way, the list MPs we're going to end up with eight or nine list MPs in Christchurch after this election, and that will be I think a first for the um, extent of the mm. the list MPs uh, in terms of the, so it makes the electoral races less interesting mm. because various people who are running for seats uh, they're high enough up, high enough up on their party list to win a list position if they don't win the seat. The one exception is ILM, because ILM has three candidates running who uh, have no chance of becoming an MP unless they win the seat. Right. And so they are um, obviously Hamish Campbell for the National Party, the incumbent Sarah Pallet for the Labour Party and uh, Ref Manji for the opportunities party and the the difference with this one is that if the opportunities party if Ref Manji wins the seat then actually the opportunities party becomes a parliamentary party for the first time so that's what makes it really really interesting you think that's a chance I think anything's a chance I mean <laughs> what I find extraordinary about Ireland is that the person who lost the safest national seat ever <laughs> has been guaranteed a free ride back into Parliament at the list position of 14. <laughs> and that's what we'd like to welcome on
2: to says Jerry Brownlee. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, Leanne, I was curious to know, do you think Labor has a chance of winning the election and forming another government, and if so, how could they do it?
1: Well, yes, I do think that they can, and I think that because I've run for public office over so many years, uh, I I was reflecting on the uh, 2005 election campaign. Uh, and uh, it is it is a personally very uh, memorable because that was the election campaign that enabled me to quit smoking forever. Uh, <laughs> I needed to have a stressful moment so that I could never use stress as a, as an um, excuse for taking up smoking again. And I have to say, that was the most stressful election campaign I have ever run in. It was misogynist, it was racist, it was nasty, and it was the first time ever that I stood on street corners um, having meetings, which was always the way that I ran campaigns. It was the first time where people said, what's in it for me? And I remember this uh, Labour stalwart um, standing there, an older woman. Um, who I'd known for many, many years. She turned round to the person who asked that question, and she said, "We do not ask that." And but it was—it became really common that people were saying, "What's in it for me?" Instead of "What's in it for us?" What's in it for the nation? What's in it for our environment? What's in it for, um, you know, a, a more um, equitable society?
0: So I've just got a follow-up question. What do you think of Labor's slogan this year? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> which
2: is, of course, in it for you, which I guess the am- ambiguity is whether it's a, a singular or a plural you, isn't it? Leanne?
1: I would like to plead the fact. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a life member of the Labour Party and want to
2: remain, so. how, how, how is that when you look back to the 2005 campaign or maybe the political milieu generally then and compare it to, to to how politics are today. Is there anything that sticks out in terms well,
1: of... it's interesting that you say that because, you know, if you think back, I often say to people, I was a cabinet minister for four years before Facebook started. You know, the 2005 election was before the iPhone um, was invented. You know, so everything now is exponentially... More accessible, more amenable to misinformation and disinformation, um, you know. So, and and now there is a um, there is a mechanism for undermining people's personal sense of confidence and security and safety uh, online. Uh, and so, all of these things factor into what is a very very different environment.
2: Um, you were. I think in the last few days, up in Wellington, had a valedictory speech for Yes, I went up Christ for speech.
1: two reasons. I went yeah. up for a former colleague, um, uh, Graham Kelly, who's written a book. Oh, yeah. uh, sort yeah. of, you know, I can't remember the name of it now. But he's going to kill me for that. Um, <laughs> it's a very about interesting left, book it? about There's a good review on newsroom.
0: his time
1: yeah. in uh, in Parliament. But it was it was, you know, Graham was there in the um, 80s and was really almost an opposition MP in government. And then I went to Porto Williams' valedictory. Mm. So she was uh, the um, Member of Parliament who took over from me when I stood down to become the Mayor of Christchurch. And uh, I have to say it was an extraordinary valedictory. It was was humorous and um, poignant and really respectful of the People that she'd had the privilege of representing over um, the uh, ten years. I think that she was uh, their MP.
2: Mm. Such an interesting example of political oratory or theatre or whatever the valedictory. Because she she did manage to get a few little jabs in there. She did. But it didn't <laughs> seem like she was going hard out settling any scores or anything, you know. No. And it had a. It was, did, did, you, you you were talking recently uh, Annabelle about the Todd Todd Muller. Mm. Uh, valedictory. Tell me, tell us about that.
3: I found his valedictory incredibly moving. He talked about, um, you know, what a how divided, how polarised Aotearoa has become recently, in terms of our views of the place of the treaty and, you know, Maori. And um, it was a really powerful kōrero He talked about, you know, when the how dangerous it is when the centre collapses, you know, the centre is essentially the po of our whare and it's about bringing in the sides to gently shift our our mindset and our beliefs and our values and he also um, spoke very powerfully about, um, about climate change as well and not being able to hold the gaze of our rangatahi when they ask us what they've done about the climate and it just made me think, you know, in terms of conservative New Zealand, he's the leader that they need right now and it's such a, a shame they don't have him. The other thing, just in terms of, of valedictories in general, is that there is something so special that touches my heart every time I hear a at the Māori start in Parliament and it fills me with such hope for what we could be as a multicultural, treaty-centred nation and every time I hear it, it, it um, fills
2: my heart. Was it Jan Logie that went out to the Waiata 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I <laughs> that, she yeah, I love that, she? That's so um, cool. But it's a, I mean, it's a common thread in lots of the valedictories that um, people look back thoughtfully. I mean, Ian McKelvey, who's, who's someone who's, I think, liked across the house, was very big on this, Todd Muller as well. Collegiality, certain issues that unite us, we need to move beyond the petty politics of tum to tum to tum to tum to tum. Do you think that's. Is there part of you that goes, that's all very well, but why weren't you doing it when you were in a position of power?
0: Yeah, yeah, look, I think that, you know, somebody like Muller, and certainly somebody like McKelvey, you know, McKelvey was never a a tribalist warrior, you Mm. know, I mean, most people probably never heard of him. Um, uh, You know, things like the Muller thing are interesting because, you know, Muller is a very reflective, articulate guy. He's obviously overcome some very real challenges uh, in his own life recently. Um, you know, stemming from that sort of maybe misplaced ambition. But, you know, there, there is a sort of, it's not a bum note, but, you know, he's talk, talked about the importance of not kicking the can down the road in terms of climate change. He did make a real contribution, you know, he, he, he worked on the Zero Carbon Act with uh, James Shaw and, and, you know, made sure that national supported that. But then, you know, if you think about it, he could have been the Minister for Climate Change. In a new national government, you know, Most they're, likely they're, would they're be, unlikely yeah. to give it to ACT, and so <laughs> <laughs> and, and and you know, and and you know, as somebody who who you know helped create the act, who really evangelises for it, mm. he could have ensured that, but instead he's leaving. Now, there's very you know, there's genuine reasons that he's leaving. You know, he's learned his own limitations, but at the same time, you know, there is something a bit sort of you know, it's not quite as resounding and resonant if you leave kind of going like, you know, I implore you all to be better. Also, I'm just going to take a comfortable retirement. So, um, you know, but but you get that. I mean, the the valedictory that stood out to me the most was um, Stuart Nash. I mean, well, the one that stood out immediately was Alpito Williams Co. But the, oh yeah, oh, that <laughs> was, so it was so a, yeah, outstanding. Like yeah. you
2: know, he was a, I, he was in, in, in full full Samoan a, yeah, that's traditional right. dress
0: yeah, yeah and like, you know people like me we like to see representation as well so <laughs> he was he was, he was, he was like, top top yeah, he's he's, a, he's a full he, he, figure. Was provi- he was providing very positive body yeah, image yeah you yeah, know. yeah. Um, <laughs> and but. but <laughs> but but Na- Na- was really good, and, the, and the first of all, you know, he, he did in a very good. He wove a kind of narrative of you know anecdotes and funny stories, very engaging. Yeah. Um, that one by one, sort of almost like a kind of like Chaucer, you know, like a like Pilgrim's Progress or something. One by one, kind of ticked off. All of the things that he was eventually fired for is actually being okay. <laughs> you know, he sort of said, "Oh, you know, and, you know, when you, you know if, if you share a few emails about what happened in cabinet with donors, have <laughs> always been your great mates, have always just supported you because you're good friends." And the but but what but what really stood out to me from that. Was that pretty much was that everyone was his great mate, and I think it betrayed something about the kind of psychology of people who go into politics sometimes, where he was like, oh, all these people, all these all these property millionaires who backed my campaign, such good friends over the years, yeah. <laughs> you know, all of these officials who called me minister and gave me nice brief, oh, my good friends, like, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, and so, sometimes I wish that I could go through life sort of as, as politicians see it. You've
3: got to get your timing right in Parliament, because hey? like, how sucky is it? that when you lose you don't get to go back and do a valedictorian if you yeah. lose your seat in the election Yeah well Michael,
2: Michael Woodhouse as well who, who you know can Get in, he's not giving, getting to give a valedictory and he's going to be campaigning in Dunedin. He's, he's out of there anyway and get into that. The, the, other, the other valedictories that were interesting, I thought, was one was Emily H- Henderson, MP for Whangarei, who in her valedictory revealed that she had absolutely no expectation of becoming an MP at all, mm. which tells you something about the size of that red wave that, went, that, that ripped through in 2020. And the other one that can't go without mentioning is Jamie Strange, who
3: the named. lived
2: so up to his name, <laughs> yeah. you cannot imagine. He, he literally spent three of his 15 minutes delivering in spoken, spoken word the full version of the New Zealand National Anthem. Yeah, it get was, it on the record. It was <laughs> incredible. Um, uh, do you remember your valedictory well, Gia? Well, I Leanne? remember it very well. Tell us a little bit about it get recited to us, yeah. including, <laughs> including the National Anthem. Was it a special moment? I, feels, I remember, feels
1: special? Look, a valedictory is a special moment because, one, you get to reflect on on the time that you've been there, and I was there for a very long time. Uh, but I remember when I first... Fe- and I quoted my maiden speech, because you always go back to what you said when you came. Yeah, the bookends. To, to, yeah, they are the bookends. And, uh, and I remember saying that I had... I mean, I told a silly story about um, how I'd been treated by a group of people when I was a, a, a tea lady at the hospital oh, yeah. and um, the the way that people don't see people because of the position that they hold. So I said I wanted to be the um, face of the people that couldn't be seen and the voice of the people that couldn't be heard. So it was lofty um, ambition, but... I sort of ended my valedictory with a reflection that, for a magic moment in time, that's, I felt on the silt-sodden streets of East Christchurch, I felt that I had um, done what I came to Parliament to do. So, yeah, no, it is a very, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an important part of that ending of your time there and I do feel for those that can't give a valedictory mm. because they lose, lose their seats. Mm.
2: Um, we'll go to questions very shortly, um, so if uh, we'll ask for mics and hands to be raised in a moment, but I wanted to ask you, Leanne, as we have you here, and you're one of the few people who has experience in cabinet and central government, high level central government, you have experience in local government as a mayor of a, a major city and it's a it's been a theme that's been bubbling away for a while now. that relationship between those two Forms of government, and in, whether it's in Three Waters prominently, and in infrastructure more broadly, um, climate adaptation now. What is your read on the relationship, the dynamic between central government and local government?
1: Well, having served as a mayor under both national and Labor governments, mm. I can say um, categorically that neither government understands the relationship that could be on offer through true partnership with local government. For over and over and over again, local government gets overlooked by central government. Central government come in and take over from local government when it suits them to. Um, And unfortunately, what that does is that it actually undermines people's faith in local government because they see central government taking over. So I think that if we operated more in this country as a partnership between central government and local government, and that we resolved some of the the outstanding funding issues that have been an issue for a very, very long time, I think that we could actually improve the way that we take on the challenges that are going to come with climate change and, and all of those other issues that are going to be um, requiring of that very local and proximate relationship with um, with uh, the people of New Zealand.
3: Kia ora. Here,
1: here. All right, now uh,
2: we have microphones from our friends here. Throw your arm in the air if you have a question. There's one down the front here. Please wait till you get the microphone because we're going to record this and you will be forever memorialised on the <laughs> podcast stream We've Gone By Lunchtime. Hello. Oh, Let us know who your question is for as well. Uh,
1: th- this question's for everybody. Uh, my question is, if you were charged with coming up with a bingo
2: card, for the 2023 election, what would be a square that you would come up with? That, like an example could be a like, top taking TVNZ to court because they got left out of a debate or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, an easy one, so I'll go first while the others are thinking, thinking something up, is um, Christopher Luxton saying what I would say is. <laughs> which is, which is thing, his thing.
3: My one is Shane Jones being charged under the Digital Harm Act <laughs> for the
0: quality of
3: his singing on his viral video. That
2: TikTok video, if you haven't seen it, it is it Truly is really something else. Yeah. amazing.
0: Um, oh man, I actually, th- this, yeah, that's a great question. Um, when I worked in Parliament, we. We used to do like kind of drinking games, you know, with like the documentary of the hollow men, or like, you know, and, and kind of yeah, and and spend a lot of time on that sort of thing. So um, I suspect that we won't have any new ones. I think it's all stuff that we've all that we've heard before, except maybe if we're three weeks out from the election, labor on 25%, then I think put free dental care in there.
3: Kia Koto, um there's been a rumor floating around the last week or so that National hasn't done a carbon estimate on their transport plan. Um, how on earth does something like that happen in 2023 when climate change is such a big focus in this election?
2: Uh, good question. Um, the, I mean, National's response to that, as best I understand, is we it's don't not, have the officials not to model
0: it. <laughs> um, it's not a, a group <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they haven't done any sort of the, the carbon impacts, but neither of the government, right, on their... Uh, um, national policy statement, um, even though I think there's, there's some kind of – didn't James Shaw introduce some kind of policy that, that large cabinet initiatives should have some sort of yes. esti- emissions estimate? Yep. When the national policy statement for transport, which was announced by uh, the new transport minister, David Parker, was announced a couple of weeks ago, uh, he said that at cabinet he had said, oh, when there's more detail about these particular projects, like when they actually come to market, that's when we'll do the assessment. Uh, National just haven't done one. Um, presumably they'll do the same kind of thing uh, when they're in government, if that that policy is still going. Um, and I, I mean, the, the way that it happens is just, it's, 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 it's the way that climate change policy always happens in New Zealand, which is that in 2000, 2008, right? I'm very old, 2008. That was a climate change election. <laughs> The GFC was happening, but that was the year the ETS came in. Helen Clark was promising that we'd have carbon-neutral New Zealand by 2050. John Key was saying we'd have halved our emissions by 2030 if the national government was elected. Um, If you went into a coma during that election campaign and and you were revived today, you would be pretty excited to see what progress we had made. (laughs) (laughs) um, But, you know, look, other things come up. Cost of living... And those things drive uh, any kind of radical climate change uh, action down the agenda. Um, and you know, I mean, it's 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 not a great story, but it's it's the the one that's right.
2: Uh, and we haven't mentioned the Greens during this conversation much at all. They seem to be re- playing a, a reasonably um, successful campaign strategy. Putting out, they've had another policy announcement today. Just put out their 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 tax policy early on, and just being available to any disaffected Labour voters, mostly, right?
3: Yeah, it feels like a slow and steady wins the race approach from them, just quietly putting out good policy and speaking to it and not having any candidates with weird and wacky
1: social media
3: backgrounds.
2: (laughs) There's still time, there's still time. There should be two, there should
1: be two list MPs for the Greens here in Christchurch Uh after the election. So, Mm. Lan Farm who was on the Environment Canterbury, um, over the last few years, she's been outstanding and I think there's been a lot of, um, you know, warmth at her, um, being placed. I think it's number six on the, on the Greens, uh, list. And, um, and Kahurangi uh, Carter sitting at 14, so that'll be, you know, she might be she might be in there as well. And um, I think it's it's been quite uh, interesting to see the way that the Greens have really. I think they went through a bumpy patch, and they've now settled down and determined to play a role. Uh, kia ora. um Given the similarity and the convergence in policy between the two major parties, do you ever see a future of a European-style grand coalition in New Zealand between Labour and National? I
2: I can't see it in in practical terms, but...
1: No. I
3: think they're too tribal for that. In New Zealand, I in mean, terms of it would, our politics? It would
2: take, I, think, I don't think it's inconceivable in wartime, for example. You know, like if there was some, and, and you know, arguably maybe, you know, a pandemic, if, if things had worked out differently, who knows? But I can't, it's a bit like the, the, the question as well of why, why aren't we getting a teal, um, uh, opportunity party are pushing teal hard as a, an idea, but in Australia there were these teal candidates, and why, aren't, why can't we see the potential for a national green uh, accommodation, governing relationship. The answer to that is, well, the Green membership were voted it down. It's just not going to happen. Um, ben, but are you... the Grand Coalition, and you think, is that plausible?
0: I don't mean, know, no. I mean, it, it, because you'd have to think, like, what's the counterfactual, you know? It, it, it would... you could only sort of imagine it if... Uh, if the party to either the left of Labour or the right of National was sort of so extremist and kind of insane that that was totally unpalatable to the kind of you know centre right or centre left voters that took you over the middle, so I can't, yeah, I can't really imagine.
3: it would be nice that. to see them working together more to solve important issues though, like you know
1: climate change and housing and all of those big ones.
2: The, the Mandela there are coalition. Are there
1: are some things. <laughs> no, there are some things that should be uh, non-partisan. That, yeah. that we should actually build. Um, a coalition across Parliament for. Mm -hmm. And climate change is an obvious one. But there are other issues as well. In a post disaster environment, I mean that's if we've learnt nothing from what happened here in Christchurch after the earthquakes it's actually bringing parties together to work in a collaborative way. You know this radical collaboration is a phrase that's really taken off internationally and it's something that we should learn from here. There are moments in time when parties should come together, not pull the country apart. Kia ora. Thank
2: you. Got time for a couple more, I reckon.
1: Kia ora. In the current climate of
3: disinformation and misinformation, I'm interested in your view on how healthy you think democracy is coming up to this election.
2: Um, yeah. Well, there was a full session on that yesterday. Well, not quite on that, but there's a lot to be said. I mean, my not... view... yes or no? What? <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, I think it's a, it's real and live, and it can, can, can affect and infect things in ways that aren't simply whether or not people get into Parliament, so there's that. Um, and some of it is being kind of absorbed into the New Zealand First Party, so there's that. At the same time, and this is absolutely not to encourage any complacency whatsoever, when you look at some examples overseas, I'm very grateful for what we do have here. You know, that's not at all to say that there aren't risks and that some of those are imported, those those dangers, but um, I think to keep it in perspective, it's not at this point as though we're on the brink. What do you guys think?
1: Well, I mean, I've expressed views already about the impact of social media and the, the um, disinformation that has been spread through it, and a lot has been imported. You know, there are you know i've gone to will walk past a protest or or been involved in a protest and you see the you see the signs and they are exactly the same words that mean nothing here in new zealand you know where, that might say defund the police you know like that that's that's straight from america that is not ours so i think that it has a lot more influence, but I do think that the numbers are the minority, you know, like I do think that they're noisy and they sound like they're the majority, but they're not, but the amount of influence that they can have uh, really does undermine democracy, which was the question that we were asked.
3: I do worry a little bit about. Um, uh, obviously, we're we're not as bad as the US, although you know misinformation and disinformation, you know, especially during COVID, is a major problem. But it's not just that. Like I, 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 I struggle to understand why media platforms spend so much money on polling. It's so incredibly. Expensive, and I talked to Mwana Maniapoto about this the other day, you know, that's money that you could be spending on regional reporters who actually go out and report on what the real issues are rather than what, you know, someone was thinking about a certain policy last week, and I do think that they become self-fulfilling prophecies and they actually set the mood for how we all feel, and, uh, you know, do they really add to the quality of our democracy? I don't think they do, so... I think those are some of the things we should be thinking about as well. And, and also, you know, filling up our, our news cycle with, ironically, punditry and punditry. Opi- analysis, <laughs> analysis <laughs> is one thing, but when we, we're just like overwhelmed constantly by opinion pieces that encourage us to be very set in our positions yeah. and don't reach across the aisle, I worry about the effect that that has on us as well. <laughs> but not us.
1: Not
2: us. We're wonderful. Exactly. If there was more of us, <laughs> in smart. fact, if there was only us, <laughs> things would we be great. Like we could just work it out between us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, one more. One more question. I don't know, I don't know where...
0: we. Okay, it's the last one. Okay, hopefully this is good. Um, what election result on election night will make you look at the screen and think, well, that's just not going to work?
2: <laughs> well... The, I mean, what, what, the polling doesn't doesn't suggest this at the moment. But there was a period of time where a series of polls, like at least three or four, and the average of polls suggested a dead heat, which was uh, which was basically sixty each. So you would have uh, a National and ACT with sixty, uh, Labour, uh, the Greens, and Te party Māori on sixty, which would and I did what you do in those circumstances, is you ring up Andrew Geddes and say, what did it do And, and he's, he, his, his suggestion was that most likely that would mean, and it's, you know, versions of those have happened in other similar electoral systems, that you'd end up with another election. Um, you know, I mean, we've, we've in a, we've in a, yeah, yeah, welcome. Um, <laughs> the, we'll be back, we'll be back at six months. <laughs> but the, 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 I mean, other, other you know, other other, other other jurisdictions have, it's reasonably common to have periods of time where you have, like, endless coalition, navigation. If don't know if they've worked out in Spain yet, I mean, Brussels, uh, Belgium had for ages. I don't know any results well, for you guys. Well, our first
1: MMP, our first MMP oh, election, yeah. that went on for weeks. Wasn't it yeah. three months, you know, twelve weeks, or something to negotiate that? I can't remember exactly that. how long it went on for, but it it's quite a blissful very long period long time. in a way.
2: Like well, you know, <laughs> yeah. no, the would, press gallery, the press gallery no reduced to writing about the biscuits they're eating while they wait in the lift well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any
0: other results that would shock, surprise? Or you got, I you mean yeah, look I think New Zealand first holding the balance of power will will make it very hard for, you know, Hipkins has ruled them out, they've ruled Hipkins out, that doesn't mean anything after the election. Um and and you know it's certainly you know active said so they won't sit around a cabinet table with Peters. Um I th- I think that would I think that would make it very difficult to get a stable government. Um and you know, if you meant, if you meant, you know, this won't work for me. Yeah, you know, I would particularly dislike that.
2: <laughs> hey, those were great questions. Thanks for that. It's, it's a privilege to be in the company of such intelligent people. Um,
3: people with great taste.
2: Yeah, well that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you very much for having us. Thank you to Karen and the whole team at uh, Word Christchurch. Thanks to Tihi Butler, our producer, who's up there keeping us calm. Um, Thanks Leanne, thanks Ben, thanks Annabelle, thank you. Ngamahi Nui.
3: Kia ora.
0: (laughs) Kia ora e tewi. Kia hi padla here, podcast manager at the spin-off.